You never know with the Berlin guys. There was a lot of junk grabbing. <laughs> there always is. That was a different time. <laughs> I put that, that's, I don't know, I'm still in that chapter of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Bang Gong Podcast with Michael Beltran. Should I be calling you Chef Michael Beltran? I don't care. For yes. Bang Gong Podcast purposes. Bang Gong Podcast with Chef Michael Beltran. Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Corluba would be upset if we didn't know Kesakawabang. Yeah, yeah. And we're here with uh, our good friend, dear friend, wonderful man, the mythical Chris Hughesby. Hey! <laughs> Welcome, Chris. It's whatever, Doug. <laughs> we were thinking of a way to incorporate that, and we just got it into the first 45 seconds. Fucking nailed it. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you. Thank you for welcoming me. It feels good to be here. So we actually have a title of this episode. The first one was like quite <laughs> rambling. And, uh, we and could, this one's going to be rambling too, but we're going to put a title on we're it. We're going to put a title on it. So yeah. we could veer left, right, and probably yeah. fucking make a U-turn. But so get ready. Yeah. So the, uh, the title of this episode um, is... Health, Wellness, and Cannabis. Hey, all right. It's whatever, dog. It's whatever, <laughs> dog. So uh, before we get into that topic, I want to totally veer left here and say a story mm. about Chris and myself. Uh, Chris and I worked the line together back before we believed in health and wellness and were a little heftier. Yeah, self-care was uh, Jameson. Self-care was Jameson. Yeah. A pack of cigarettes. Yeah. And getting home after four in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, those were good. They were good times. Yeah, if you feel things, you go ahead and just drink. You just... <laughs> Anyways, on one of those... Uh, the I would say that we drank a lot during Basil Weeks, Art Basil Weeks. Safe to say safe, that, yeah. Safe bet. So that week in... Uh, Although it had nothing to do with what you're about to say, though. Zero, but yeah. uh, that week was always notoriously the busiest week at the restaurant that we were working at, the Cypress Room, mm-hmm. owned by Michael Schwartz and ran by Roel Alcudia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so Chris was working the grill station. I think this was your third or fourth week on the grill station. Yeah. And I was working saute. So needless to say, I felt really comfortable. You were super uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. And I, I felt a little violated because <laughs> the grill was my station, and then you surpassed that and violated me some more. So here's the story, okay? Uh, I'm working saute. We're totally in the weeds, 100% in the weeds. And Roel is across the line just yelling at us with all the intensity Roel could possibly build up, which was a good amount. He is Filipino. He is. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, there was a lot intensity of there. intensity there. Right? Yeah. And um, we had this, um, it was a guinea hen, right? On the yeah. rotisserie. So anyways, part of that dish was a mushroom pan sauce, and that was Chris's pickup. So I'm working saute, and on the saute station, if you want to close your eyes and envision with me that you're looking at a uh, under-the-counter refrigerator. Everyone has their eyes closed? Eyes closed? Cool. Uh, under-the-counter refrigerator, and there's drawers, refrigerated drawers for you, the folks out there, whoever's listening that have never worked in a kitchen, they exist. Refrigerator doors. Drawers. Okay? Drawers. So as I am putting a dish up in the window, which the window is the pass, that is where food goes up to be expedited to you guests out there, uh, Chris is opening up the drawer, and he goes down 
to reach for mushrooms. As he reaches for the mushrooms, he finds my junk instead. Because <laughs> I am leaning over this uh, drawer. So he totally gets a handful of junk. And he's looking for the mushrooms. And I said, whoa, Chris, you have my junk. He goes, oh, sorry. And just goes and gets mushrooms. And we continue to work service like it never happened. Yeah. Because there was no time to sit there and talk about the fact that he just grabbed my junk. Yeah. You don't recall any of this story? No, now I do, vividly. Do. Yeah. Okay, good. And it was, and it's a great story now because it just really represents how when you're super busy in the kitchen, nothing matters. Yeah. You're just totally 100%. The goal is to just get the food out the window to the best of your ability, even uh, if you're grabbing the guy's junk next to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's accurate. <laughs> and I mean, what are you, you're going to stop and, and talk about how I just grabbed your junk? <laughs> Roel's screaming at us to put food in the window, and we're going to analyze <laughs> that under, whole under situation. Under circumstances, you do stop everything you're doing yeah, and discuss other, the junk grab. Yeah, not right. that one, though. No, <laughs> you know, that one, was, it, was, uh, it was funny after the fact, but I think that um, really that was some really impressive times. Yeah. It was, uh, I just, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Not grabbing your junk to working with you. Could have been. Well, both, both of those things are pretty incredible, actually. Trump now, that, else. now that I. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. good that this has to do with health, wellness, and cannabis all yeah. at the same time. Well, I feel like it's a good, you know, it's a, it's a pretty decent segue it into is. like how unhealthy, you know, we can be, uh, especially like in that industry. Like my time at the Cypress Room was like a ton of learning, a ton of growth as a cook. Um, but. Yeah, super, like a continuation of a really unhealthy lifestyle in more ways than one. And, uh, um, yeah, I think you've done a pretty good job of uh, making that a priority and, and being vocal about it, too. And well, I think there's other, other folks who have done a really good job of it. I mean, I, I, I'm not as current with, uh, with all things kitchen and, and chef, but I remember towards the end of my stint cooking when I was still paying attention to a lot of that stuff, like Sean Brock was like coming out with a lot of he's he's come out he's come out with a whole bunch of whole load of things yeah i'd say a pioneer of that in south florida was definitely danny surfer yeah um there was a big piece in the miami herald about danny's kind of like transformation you know and just totally becoming sober hell yeah you know and even let's even apart from drinking and drugs i go back to our days at the cypress room and i remember you know, we would tee up the day with a quart container of, of cold, cold brew. Yeah, dude. Just yeah. like a whole... Gnarly. I, I like it's nothing. It now, like, I drink a lot of coffee now. Dude. Because it, it's taken the place of a lot of things. But, dude, a whole quart... And that was just one. Like, we would go for Super two. Super unhealthy. Yeah, and we would, like, gnarly. two quart containers of cold brew. And then there's cooks now, like, in my kitchen. I don't allow them. But they'll sneak in a quart container of Coke. Jesus. You know, Coca-Cola, Sprite. And it's just like, dude, that's... So much sugar you're putting into your body, and it's just not good for you. Poison. Do you remember the family meals that we would do at Cyprus? Woof. And they were just absolutely absurd. And I remember Michael would force us to do a salad, and it would be the saddest fucking salad ever. And we didn't care. Bummer, dude. Yeah, we didn't care at all. But just those things lead us to what is that kitchen mantra of like you need to be the pirate that drinks a yeah. fuck ton and smokes a pack of cigarettes and 
You know, and I'm not saying I'm better than that because I did that for a long fucking time. Yeah. And I, I mean. Well, it's also the standard. It's also like that's the culture that you go into. And like, shit, I remember you remember Miguel from, from the Miguel from uh, from Nantucket. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> yeah, I just actually I just actually spoke to him like two weeks out. ago. Yeah. No, but he was, out. He was a great dog. example of someone who <laughs> it is whatever, dog. But uh, he's a great example of someone who like didn't fit into the culture of, of our kitchen at that time. And I look back in retrospect and I'm like, damn, dude, that was the example. That was the dude we all should have been like, fuck, he's got it right. You know, like, yeah. I mean, just like, I remember days where he would ride his bike 30 miles to come to work. Yes. And then he would talk about like getting out of work and, you know, like train for a triathlon or whatever. And he would eat really healthy. Like he wouldn't eat family meal and he'd make his own little salad, you know, like, and like and I, that I kind of shit. I'd look at that and be like, whatever, bro. It's whatever, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> no, we would no, sit there but, and be like, oh, you're, what, is, what is that? And, like, what That's... a lame thing to do, you know, like, like to, to, to sort of ostracize or to think less of, of someone being mindful and, like, caring about what they're putting into their body. Like, it's, that comes from such a place of, like, insecurity and, yeah. and, and, uh. Well, th- this is what society know. has told us we're supposed to be. Right. And we bought into it, though, is what I'm saying. And not everybody does necessarily, you know, like and and so I think that like it's it, like you show up to a kitchen and to fit in. I mean, like, are you you're like I, I, every kitchen I've pretty much worked in? What are you not going to drink after work? You're going right. to not go to the bar with everybody. Right. You know, and if you don't, then and not to say that like you have to, but it definitely helps. And, and there is that camaraderie and you do go through a ton of shit together. So it makes sense that people, you know, go through some sort of like, you know, quote unquote trauma or like stress right. together. And then they drink to unwind and, and that, that those bonds are kind of formed. But I think that's also just like that culture is, has like formed in that way. And we're expected to be that way. It's like, it, it can just as easily be changed, you right. know? And like, well, I think bringing the, like starting those conversations and you, even things like not drinking Coke while you're on the line, sweating and busting your ass for eight or nine hours, 10 hours at a time. Like that's not something that I've ever heard anyone say to me in the kitchen yeah. ever. For, I worked water. in the kitchen for 10 years where like no one that, that like that, that kind of the idea of like what, like, and for Christ's sakes, we're fucking cooks. Yeah. Like we are, like we're making a living preparing food that people are going to eat and we're not being mindful about what we're putting in our own bodies. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. It's part of the culture. And I think, uh, we saw the trend start to change a few years ago. And then sadly, you know, with the passing of Anthony Bourdain and the mental health aspect of it and like everything that Bourdain did, drinking, drugs, whatever it may be. Uh, just like a gluttonous amount of a lot of stuff that brought it more to the mainstream. Right. You know, like the whole mental health aspect of it and how it's really not, this is not okay. Right. And there's a lot of chefs that have taken it upon themselves to change the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, say, well, (coughs) it's not okay to do rails of Coke in the middle of service. Yeah. You know, like, that's just not... Or at all. Or, or at all. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? Like, before it was like, yeah, you know, it's tough service. Just, you know, do a line. You'll be cool. Yeah, or, or like, I mean, shit, dude. I, I drank on the line until until the Cypress Room, pretty much. Yeah. That was, um, I mean, there was, I think every real cook has got those dark days. They have those, like, 
times that they thought they were on top of the world and when you look back on it if you've if you've climbed out of it mm-hmm. you look back on it and you're like fuck man what was I doing I remember right. that there was a job I had I would work in the morning go to a bar in between shifts fucking do a few shots a couple beers go back then after service go do it again yeah end up somewhere at 5 in the morning closing something down yep and just you know waking up at 9 in the morning the next day and doing it not even thinking about going to work out not thinking about who cares if I'm drinking coke or who cares if you know what I'm putting in my body yeah you know what that does to your mentality too it's like who cares about me yeah take it, it yeah you, there's no there's no emphasis or value put on your own well-being so health and wellness has taken like you know I remember back when we were at Cyprus you you weren't drinking with us after service you weren't um, partaking and I mean that me and the guys would pull off a bottle of Tully like without we would polish off the whole bottle yeah uh, after a Friday service in the parking lot without a problem yeah you know, and that was like the norm. I remember there would be days with, you know, we'd be sitting on my porch at like 530 in the morning just doing things that we shouldn't be doing. <laughs> and um, and I look back on it. And, you know, there there was some good times there well, with people. But at should, the same time. I feel like it shouldn't be totally villainized at the same. Like, like uh, it's not a, like I, I don't want to like totally vilify the idea of like finishing a bottle of whiskey with the crew after a service occasionally i think it's more about the balance and about that being your only coping mechanism and occasionally that, being, and that being like the way the only like if you can't deal with the if you can't unwind from dinner service from the stress of a, of a brutal dinner service any other way than getting blackout drunk then you have a problem and i'm not saying like you're an alcoholic i'm just saying that's a bad way of coping and like there are, there's better ways to deal with that stress that will do less damage to you long term. So, like, yeah, I mean, because because when you said that thing about the porch and five a.m., like some of my best memories in general in life have been like after a night of bad decisions and like you know doing like whatever that like whatever whatever version of that it that of that story you know you have where like five cooks end up back at the house and you know, you're smoking joints and finishing a bottle of Jack or whatever. And like talking about service and talking about food and whatever, like those, that, that there's value to that, but it can't be the only thing. And, uh, and I think so often that that's, that's what it becomes because it's easy. Right. You know, like it, it's easy to fall when into that fun. groove. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and that, and it's, it's also all geared towards that, you know, like it's, it's not set up to be anything else. You right. know, the bar down the street is open after your restaurant closes and they're going to sell you cheap liquor. They right. want you to come in there and they want you. They're, they're like, fuck, dude, 2 a.m. happy industry happy hours. You know, like that's not, I do. It's not an accident. Yeah, no. And I mean, and, and again, it's not like that's inherently evil. Right. But without the conversation of like balance and of, you know, like wellness being incorporated in that and, and realizing that like those happy hours aren't things to do every night. Right. You know, I don't know. I also just think that like it's 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 kind of like it, like I think chefs also fall under that kind of cliche thing of, um, and I've had friends you know playing music and shit. I've had friends who who, and I mean I've been guilty of this from time to time of like oh well well we wrote this great song at practice because I had the right mix of whatever substances like I was stoned and drunk enough and I had whatever else you know like I had taken or done. 
And that's why, as opposed to like giving yourself the credit that like you've been working at this and you're a creative person and you're like, you are responsible for this. Not these substances that like, and that's not what enabled you to do it. You know, like you're like, you've developed and cultivated this sort of ability to, to contribute to writing music or to contribute to, to writing a menu for a restaurant. And like, we fall into this idea of like, well, to be creative, I got to smoke a joint or to be creative. I have to do X, Y, Z. Like you should be able to do those things without it. And like, if it, if it, if it's like a, if it helps you get in that zone, that's cool. But I mean, if that's the only way you can do that thing, then, you know, there's no balance there and you can't really do that thing, you know, like, well, but but you don't really know that until you come out the other end. Right. You know, like I, I know now because I've reached the other end that, I mean, I haven't had a drink in 14 months and haven't had a cigarette in almost two years. And, you know, there's just been a lot of change that now I feel more creative and more, more, I feel like I have more ability to do pretty much fucking anything. Right. You know, and I think that most people would find that to be true. Uh, and I 100% agree, but you don't know until you like, you, you climb out of it. Yeah. You climb out of what the, the box society has put you in. And I always go back to that because it's always like, well, you know, we're supposed to be pirates and drink and, you know, be out till five in the morning. And, and again, that's not always bad. Now, if you're doing it four times a week, then it's probably bad. Yeah. Um, but until you reach the other end of that and say, I can, I can be all of these things without it, then you don't really know. And that's the hardest part is getting to, to life without it, you know, and saying that life is good without it. Uh, is probably, I think, the hardest part for people. Yeah. To be okay not having it. Yeah. You know? So, um, well, that was good. Yeah. That was, that was good. I agree. What are we talking about now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know, man. We were, uh, we definitely were talking about what else were, were we going to talk about? I mean, uh, the, this is health, wellness, and cannabis. Hey, um, yeah, that part. Oh, yeah, so I've um, been kind of involved in that lately. Oh. And, uh, you know, I've been making edibles for a long time. It kind of started pre-Cypress Room. Yeah. Way pre-Cypress Room, actually. Actually, a, a very well-known chef had to leave a party <laughs> oh, yeah, <I> <laughs> because he ate a hash candy that I made. Yeah. Wasn't me. That's one of my. Uh, that's like a, uh, a claim to fame, man. I wish I could tell that story more freely, but yeah, I got a. Good not story. sure about it, but um, I got a yeah, good go story about with it. you. Yeah, this is an Owen. So I um, at Cyprus, I had my wisdom teeth taken out, right? And it was like, uh, you don't remember the story? Vaguely. This is while you were work- not literally at Cyprus. No, no, no like when so I was, I was gonna working say, there. This in the, the, in yeah. the three years span I was working there, and uh, I had this like killer pain and I hadn't been to the dentist in a million years I went to the dentist they're like yeah you gotta take those things out like, alright <laughs> cool whatever so I took them out and uh, me like an asshole I'm like yeah I'll be good to work tomorrow no big deal and they had me all kinds and all kinds of like painkillers whatever I'm like I'm totally fine I went to work the next day and I was just like in so much pain so I started popping a bunch of pain pills right and uh <laughs> And so I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm good to work. And then Roel comes to work, and he's like, you look like fucking shit, man. Like, go home. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm fine. And I'm fine. So I end up going home, and I was at home for two days. 
and I came back to work on the third day, and I was just still popping all these pain pills, and I, I got to wean myself off these pain pills. And um, I text Chris. I'm like, hey, man, uh, can I get some cookies? So Chris is like, for sure. I just made a fresh batch. And I'm like, cool. So these cookies are, I don't know, like an inch and a quarter. I mean, they're really small. You remember that they were green? <laughs> you remember? Yeah. Anyways. yeah. So he makes these cookies, and he gives me like three of them. And I'm like, man, these things are so small. So he gives me no context of the cookie. Okay? <laughs> so he hands me the cookies, right? And my mom, being a wonderful mom, is texting me like, your grandmother made you beans. You can't eat anything. The beans are soft, and they're, you know, like a regular mom. So like, cool. So I go to my grandmother's house and pick up these beans. As I'm in the driveway, I eat one of these cookies. I'm like, they're really small. Let me eat two of them. Okay? So... I eat two of these cookies and like 30 minutes passes and I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to eat the third one. So I eat the third cookie, right? So 30 minutes more pass and I'm like, I'm starting to feel a little fucking funny. And then Chris texts me after hours have passed. This is my very dear friend. (coughs) Hours have passed. He goes, hey, by the way, I forgot to tell you, the cookies are extra strong, only half a cookie at a time. I read the text like, oh, fuck. Hey, you can't undo that. No, I couldn't undo. Oh, what happened to me that night? And mind you, I lived in a fucking, it was like this small shack. Remember Mm -hmm. the shack? Oh, yeah. You went to the shack. I remember that. Small shack by myself. And like the owner of the the house in front of me had like a killer dog. And it was just, it was a kind of a nightmare of a night. I didn't feel any pain to that much. But God, I was walking circles around the house. Yeah, it was on a on a different level. That's why I'm happy. Edibles now come with disclaimers. Yeah, yeah, and some general knowledge about edibles. General knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Some 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 start small and be patient. That's the that's the mantra. Yeah. So uh, and then I think uh, an effective starting dose for people that are not experienced between five and twenty five milligrams. Right. Say that again, an effective dose for people who are not very experienced with cannabis when it comes to edibles between five and 25 milligrams. It's really incredible the, the amount that the right amount of edible will help you. Yeah, well, what's, what's incredible to me is, is just how versatile and how useful uh, this plant is and how uh, it's, I mean, it's been essentially a folk medicine that humans have been using for thousands of years. I mean, there's evidence of, of, uh, of cannabis being cultivated in, in China 2,000 years ago. Um, and the fact that there is such a spectrum from, like, one end where it's, like almost a stimulant and works as, as like ADD medicine for some folks. And then on the other end, it's like this sedative, you know, pain management sort of like sleep aid. And there's everything in between that. And then that, that it offers relief from everything from like rheumatoid arthritis in topicals, fibromyalgia and topicals to helping diabetics regulate fucking insulin. Like, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's it's just I, I can't think of any other medicinal plant or any other any other anything really that 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 does so much, you know that there's such a spectrum of, of what it's used for and and how effective it is for so many things. I mean, the number of folks that uh, that I've run into and that I've supplied with with like edibles, um, 
and other things that like that and, and the, the, like how much that's helped is just staggering and like the variety of things that it helps with is really is really incredible you know so uh um and i think it's really cool that 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 sort of the stigmas are kind of falling away from it and that these conversations like this one can happen more and that we can be more uh more open about it because i think it's going to lead to like just sort of a shift you know and i mean i think the same can be said about about psychedelics too like i think uh like Colorado just decriminalized psilocybin mushrooms and I think that you'll see in the next five ten years like what a f- colossal like sea change that's going to bring about I mean like the pharmaceutical industry should be shaking in its fucking boots legitimately I mean maps the the it's a it's an organization that studies uh, hallucinogens and, and psychedelics and they're doing studies in California right now with psilocybin and MDMA um, for to treat like PTSD and stuff like that, and uh, and the results, like what they're getting, the feedback they're getting is fucking staggering. It's like, I mean, it's 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 incredible. There's um, there's huge advances happening. I mean, and and I think that it's a uh, it's it's an interesting sort of shift from the idea that we just need to like the idea of like how we deal with mental health and depression as an example and, and, and how we medicate depression has typically for the last 50 years been like, well, just, just make do, you know, like get to a, a, an even keel to a middle ground where you don't want to kill yourself, but you're not excited about anything. And like, if medicine can help you get there, that's a, that's a victory. And, and like, you know, if, if it's that or feeling like you're going to kill yourself, that's a fucking victory for sure. But what if it's possible with microdosing with psilocybin or with guided LSD trips or MDMA therapy? What if you can actually like kind of like rewire and start over? You know, what if you can what if you can achieve that through a different path and have like long lasting, you know, change, like actual change, you know, and uh as opposed to just sort of like getting onto something that you then have to maintain for an indefinite period where you're just kind of like, you know, I I just like that kind of ties into this whole wellness thing that we were talking about. And it's not to to say that like pharmaceuticals are necessarily bad or evil. It's just that like, that's been the only like paradigm that we've used. It's the only only lens that we've like viewed this problem through is antidepressants. And so now that like these things are becoming legal and, and science is, is we're able to look more into it. It's, it's fascinating and it's really, it's helped my life a lot. And I know a lot of folks who it's, it's really made a huge difference with, you know, I mean, whether it's, you know, daily medicate, medicating with cannabis, um, in the form of like CBD, you know, like non THC, non psychoactive versions of it, um, or the psychoactive versions. I mean, there's a ton of really just interesting medicine that has nothing to do with like stuff that's made in a lab, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. that, that can be grown at home, you know, it's 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 fascinating. I mean, th- the idea that a fucking plant can help s- epileptics not have seizures. You know what I mean? That like an epileptic who's about to have a seizure can take a hit off a joint and then not have a seizure. That's fucking unbelievable, dude. The idea that that whatever the cannabinoid, like the the different chemicals that are in cannabis, like that there's there's infinite variants of that. And that each one will have a different psychoactive effect and a different medical effect. And that you can breed these things to, to go after specific, you know, to, 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 to help with specific things is, is incredible. And I mean, 
when when we when we think like when I think about pharmaceuticals, I think about it like you know you like how many times have you heard of people being on a bunch of meds and then taking a couple more pills to deal with the side effects of that medicine? Like one of the dudes that one of the best examples of that is I I'm friends with this veteran who who's a Afghanistan and Iraqi war vet, um, and until a year ago he was on eight different pills. Some of them are psychiatric, some of them are paid pain management, and to like. Right now, today, the guy only medicates with cannabis. Like, all of those pharmaceuticals, he doesn't take anymore. Only? He only, like, all of those things that he was taking, a bunch of antidepressants, anti-anxiety, all of these things, he's managed to... And, I mean, it's not just, like, stop taking your pills and start smoking weed. It's right. about finding out if that works for you, finding out if something along that spectrum is, is helpful for the, for the issues that you have, and, then, and also therapy, and also, like, this thing of, like that we were talking about before, like being aware of your, of your mental health and your physical health. And the fact that those two things are tied together, you know? So but, um, how, how much longer do you think we're going to be under this, like this, I guess, stigma that it's, that it's bad. I mean, I don't think, I think more and more it's not, I think that stigma is like disappearing. And, uh, the thing, the thing I worry about actually, and like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny cause there's so much in common with, uh, with like when I got to the Cypress room and, and the emphasis on, on sourcing our stuff, like became part of the conversation. So like in other restaurants I'd worked in, it was like, Oh, here's some like really nice foraged mushrooms from the Pacific Northwest. I'm like, all right, cool. And here's some, you know, organic, whatever, but nothing was like swank farms or like, here's a picture of a farm that's three hours away from you. And, uh, and this is like fucking vegetables that you've never seen before, you know, like, like, I, I, like when I worked at the Cypress room, I had never seen a watermelon radish. Right. And like, oh. it's super important that, that small farms and are, are supported and are, are like, and, and things like Anson Mills are supported because the alternative is big agriculture and Monsanto. And like when you, I mean, just some of the things that, that, that you hear about, like if, if a small organic farm is adjacent to a Monsanto, like GMO farm, they're fucked. Like if, if the wind blows the wrong way and your crops get pollinated with the Monsanto GMO, like pollen from those, those plants, you're no longer, you can no longer be certified organic like Mm -hmm. that. That's going to fuck you up. So the same concern is there with corporate cannabis and corporate cannabis. And this is one of the things that's really scary is that. With along with recreation, like Prop 64 in California, along with that came millionaires and billionaires and folks who don't give a shit about this being folk medicine, don't give a shit about this being something that you can grow in your backyard, in your basement, and provide medicine for your for your community, for your family. They they want to turn it into a commodity and they want to do what, monetize. Yeah, they want to do what they, what, what they want to do with it. And Monsanto is already is already getting involved. In, in the cannabis industry, and we should all be concerned about that. We should all be concerned about what Monsanto's doing, period. But especially when it comes to this sort of thing, I mean, like, people that I know that are, that are you know, that have been involved with this and they, they, they've been involved in growing and, and cultivating and stuff, like, they're hoarding seeds and they're, 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 they're terrified of this because the idea that, that one day this, this really, like, incredible, naturally occurring medicine could be, like, sort of forever altered and never be the same... And always be this weird mutant that that doesn't abide by you know sort of like natural laws like like all the, like all the, like most other plants do you know like it, it's it's a scary thing and 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 people 
people aren't aware that that's that that's a risk that runs with legalization you know like if 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 recreational cannabis comes through and it's not the provision of making sure that medical patients have access to it and that you know home grow is is involved in the in the legalization if that's not part of it then then I don't want anything to do with it you know then I think it's actually it's like it's worse like keep it recreationally illegal keep it medically legal and don't let you know don't let the like the big retail dispensaries and the big like you know come party you know I don't know like I, I feel like there's there's so much value in it medically and and for like like I don't know for the good that it can do that that I don't know like, it, like legalization is a, is a tricky thing you know it's what's really interesting is that what you're talking about them doing is what they've done with food. That's exactly my point. It's like, you, know, like like, you have to go out of your way to well, not get shit. That's, that's, that's like, that's gnarly. I mean, that, that has no business growing the way it does. You right. know, monoculture is like, it's just counterintuitive and it's not like, you know, I mean, it's just like, you have to, you have to jump through so many hoops and you have to like, I don't know. You have to, you have to, there's just so much that that's required of you to like break the rules of nature, you know, <laughs> like that the inevitable end result is going to be worse. Right. I mean, it's, it's where we're at in the whole food industry. So them getting involved in the cannabis industry is equally terrifying. Yeah. Cause we all see what they've done with food. Yeah. And what's people who care about it know that what they've done with food is just, I mean, the fact that you can get the same carrot here as you can in Wisconsin or uh, Georgia or South Carolina, that should be concerning. Yep. Every place should grow vegetables. I mean, exactly. dude, the, the, one of the best examples I feel like of one of the first times that I was made aware of that was, uh, what, what's uh, Dan Barber, is it? Yeah. F- dude, his TED Talks. Holy shit! His dude. book. Yeah, see, and I'm that, like I haven't even read that book yet. But the the TED talk, the two TED talks, the one about the fish, about yep, what the farm of the fish farm was feeding the fish, and then the <laughs> the, the one about foie gras. Chicken, uh, yeah, chicken. Yeah, yeah, they were feeling like chicken and whatever byproduct. But yeah. so, and then and then to the other like the total other end of that spectrum that the guy in in Spain with the foie gras where he's like clapping at the geese yeah and they're coming to land in his fucking Shangri-La of like yeah. you know like oh the, the liver wasn't yellow enough so I put they planted some flowers they ate the seeds from these yellow flowers now their livers are yellow like what the, like that's just it's the opposite of like forcing nature to bend to your will and going oh look everything's here if right. I just like if I'm willing to accept a little bit less return and a little bit like if I'm willing to hoard a little bit less wealth like, and I'm willing to, to essentially, uh, like I'm, I'm willing to, 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 to bend to the will of nature. Then like the shockingly, the results are fucking <laughs> amazing, you know? Like, yeah. and so I, I just, those are like the concern. And I, I, I just, I think that there's so much good out there and that, and that when you like, when those, those, it's not to say that all corporations necessarily are bad and whatever. Like, it's it's just to say that, like, if we're not thinking about these things and if we're just sort of like, all right, weed's legal, let's smoke a joint. Like, there's so much more to it. And in making these edibles over the last few years, which I guess is a, a good frame of reference to include now, I started making edibles a long time ago. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and it used Cats to be that, the bag. that, uh, that, um, 
they were sort of like unmeasured and I I just kind of throw handfuls of starting material into the butter and just kind of end up with these like unevenly dosed fucking <laughs> like uh, uh edibles and and eventually refined it into a process where where now I can, you know, reliably reproduce and accurately dose edibles and and in doing so I've I've come into contact with a lot of folks who who do use this as a medicine and who use this as a as a way to to manage pain to help sleep to you know to do a whole host of things and and through doing that and and meeting folks like that vet that I told you about who was on you know eight or nine different pills and now takes none and his quality of life is like so much better than it used to be and through all those experiences it's just kind of opened my eyes to the idea that we need to be mindful you know, when, like, when, when, when these things, when, when anything gets proposed, you know, like when you go to vote for something and when you, when you think about, you know, the, the, the course that these things are going to take, that the legalization of cannabis is going to take, like, these are, these are things that have to be part of the conversation or they're going to get overlooked. And I promise you, the folks that are going to be making money off of this are not going to do the right thing. No. Like, mo- like, just time and time again, when left to do the right thing, be it developers, be it anybody, they're going to, to almost always choose profit over the right thing to do, you know? And so like, that's why this, this has to be part of the conversation. That that's probably the most educated conversation on cannabis I've ever heard. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even trying to be funny. It's just, it's interesting because when what you said there is like, Oh, let's legalize it. So we can all just smoke a joint and have a good time. It's totally different. It's like, it's not, I'm all like, for that, by the way. Right. Like, let, let, let's definitely smoke a joint and have a good time. Right. But right. let's not do that at the cost of grandma getting her medicine, you know, or like your aunt with fibromyalgia or not you, not that you have an aunt with fibro, but you know. Right. No, I get it. Whoever it is, you know, um, just, just, just to make sure that those folks are still provided for. I mean, that's, that's actually, I, I was listening to a podcast about this, this subject and about Canada going legal because they, they recently went um, recreational. And the person on the podcast was actually a, a, a First Nations person, a, na- a native person in Canada. And uh, this, is, this is someone who's been growing medicine for himself and his family. Uh-oh. We got some... <laughs> some sonic disturbance. But yeah, so this is a guy who is growing medicine for himself and his family and, uh, and, his, and, and a few folks in his community and... Uh, and right after it went legal, he he was one of the first people that I heard bring up this this conversation. And um, funny enough, where like the reason he brought it up is because the he was saying that that what he mentioned in the podcast was that the the sort of um, the 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 medical lobby in Canada was making a case for getting rid of medical cannabis in Canada, because what do you need medical dispensaries for? You can just go to the rec dispensary and get your medicine. Right. Mm. But if you get rid of the medical provisions, then you you're telling that guy who's been growing for himself and his family and his community that he can't do that anymore. And part of the reason that you would say that, that you would do that is because the state collects taxes on every gram of marijuana that's sold in those state-run dispensaries so it's in the state's best interest to make sure that you can't produce this for yourself for free (laughs) um (laughs) oh we have a disturbance in the force yeah you're doing a great job nice work ref very good 
But yeah, so that was like the first I had heard of it. And it was really interesting because, you know, like I, I didn't even think twice about it. I just thought that like, you know, legalization, decriminalization, it's all, it's always good. As long as we're, we're freeing this plant or whatever, it's, it's good. And then the other, the other thing that this, that just reminded me of, and this is a, a really another huge important part of this conversation that very rarely is brought up, but I would be willing to bet your next paycheck <laughs> that, okay. that the two of us know either directly or indirectly, someone who has a tío who had a house back in the day who sure. might be in prison now. Right. Or maybe we know someone who built hydroponic systems or whatever. And I know damn sure that you and I smoked that weed in high school. Yes. And good chance. Yeah. Some of that good Miami crippy. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, th- those people whatever, paved the way. <laughs> it is. It's whatever, dog. But what's not whatever, dog, is, um, is that those people paved the way. And some of those people are, are in prison right now. Like, they're, they're literally serving time in prison for something that millionaires are profiting off of now. That's legal. That I can get my medical card. I can walk into a store and buy cannabis. There are people that were imprisoned for that. Up and right up until it went legal, and and even still today are 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 in prison. And if we're not talking about doing right by those people, if if we're not if, if now cannabis is decriminalized and there's still people locked up for having a joint in their pocket or a twenty bag or growing or whatever it was, if part of the conversation isn't commuting those sentences, doing something about that, and then making sure that those people in those communities who are most disenfranchised by these fucking ridiculous drug laws are given, if they're not given a fucking leg up in this industry then like like keep it illegal man <laughs> like fuck it like i, I just right. like it's in other words if, if legalization is just is just opening opening the door to to the the powers that be and the folks who are already profiting off of everything anyway to just get more rich and to give us like worse like lower quality medicine and access to less you know less of it then like it's not really you know it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of situation you know how many people do you think actually understand the thought process of this argument? And what's the percentage of people that are thinking like you? And what's the percentage of people that are like, yeah, I just wanted to be legal so I could smoke a joint and not get in trouble for it? I don't know, man. I really don't know because I'm so, I'm kind of like inundated with people in this community who, who are kind of like-minded. So, um, and I, I also happen to uh, to be friends with and and have the the good fortune of like uh of knowing a couple of folks who are involved with the weed for warriors project which mm-hmm. is a an organization that's a nationwide organization that gets uh, uh veterans in touch and access to uh medical cannabis mm-hmm. and like um just having seen that firsthand you know like how these are folks who are asked to sacrifice everything and then are told like you know well sorry we can't do a better job of caring for you Right. And, uh, you know, so much so that, like, they have to do things like start organizations to fucking help each other get access to medicine. You know right. what I mean? Like, um, and I forgot I forgot where I was going with that. But, uh, but oh, yeah. So what you were saying about as far as how, how many people you think are, are aware of this as part of that conversation. And I think the answer to that question is, by and large, not too many. And I think that uh, that this part of the conversation isn't it doesn't make money it's not profitable to talk about uh you know criminals who are in prison right now 
like and and criminals in air quotes you know but like right. to the to the 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 visionaries and the trendsetters who are willing to take a risk and and I'm I'm not trying to paint that picture like like these tos that I'm talking about were were not just trying to make money too but I mean at the same time like they're essentially still being punished for something that now is like I can fucking walk into a store and purchase and if I'm if I'm if I'm a medical card holder and I'm smoking like I, I face zero consequences for that now you know and like so I, I think that it's not part of the, the the overall conversation as much as it should be although it's hard for me to gauge that because I'm like you know involved with a lot of folks who are who make it like they're they're it's like they're very involved in the process they 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 go to Tallahassee they they you know like when this stuff comes up for for public debate or for the public to comment on it they're they're there 40 50 deep you know and who who's going to argue with 40 combat veterans no you know <laughs> like is anybody going to tell them like oh yeah sorry you can't have that medicine because it's federally illegal like no have you ever considered becoming a voice yourself sorry becoming a voice like going to Tallahassee and helping uh no, well, not really. I, I've I've thought about uh, well, I think about it more in terms of like what I can do directly locally, like in in terms of like folks that I uh, that I <laughs> supply with edibles or you know stuff like that, and uh, and conversations like this one. Um, I don't know. I've never really thought of myself as someone to to be like uh, kind of like out in front or or. I don't know, like a spokesperson for that. I, I feel like it's like I'd better serve the community by like doing things in it. You know what I mean? By like outreach kind of stuff mm-hmm. where, and, and that being said, it's one of the things that like, I, I'm really fortunate to be able to do that since I have access to, and, and since I'm, since, since folks, um, sort of, Let's just say, since I have access to some to some free or inexpensive starting material, because people are aware that I'm that I you know oftentimes will help folks in need. It's it's a really awesome feeling to be able to like operate that stuff like on a, kind of on a sliding scale, you know, sure. where like if someone's really in need and they don't have money for it, like I'm in a position where there's enough folks who are recreationally enjoying my edibles that like I can you know share them with people who really need them and and might not have like the financial ability to pay for them. Sure. You know, because that's another thing that, that that's rough about this whole thing is like you, you know, like the it's not cheap, you know. So I, I in this whole like, I guess, journey of like becoming involved in the cannabis community and, and this whole thing, I've, I've run into to a to a guy whose name I'm blanking on, but he runs a, a nonprofit called the Rainy Day Foundation, I want to say. And I could be wrong about this, but um it's a it's a nonprofit that helps people who are on food stamps or like government assistance who are medical patients. It helps them get access to meds because I mean, if you think about it, like if you can't afford to fucking feed yourself or your family and you're on food stamps, you're definitely not going to be able to buy meds. Right. Like usually those are, it's those people and Medicare and whatever other kind of like public health yeah. services there are not going to account for that. Um, so that that. Like stuff like that, I think is is really cool, and I think more like as mu- as much of that kind of stuff, and and also like what the Weed for Warriors guys are doing, you know, where they they're they're kind of trying to break down the stigmas and and start these conversations, and and to kind of put it out there that like these, you know, like everyone wants to wave the American flag and tie a yellow ribbon around this or that, but when it comes to to like you know, the fact that that, I mean, 
like just just look at veteran suicide and look at the look at look at how like i mean i, I like firsthand seeing that that how this medicine helps that not happen you know how like th- those suicide rates change when they have access to these meds you know like and th- those suicide rates don't change when when they go to the va and they're put on fucking opiates or they're put on barbiturates you know what i mean like that doesn't help the problem long term so i just think as much as it's fun to go to colorado and you know, go into those dispensaries and get stoned. There's also the other side of this. And like, not to say that one is, is bad and the other one's good, but they should both be talked about and it should be a, a like anything else, you know, just try to achieve that balance of like, this is a fucking fun thing. And it's, it's great to take a bong rip and get stoned and watch Cheech and Chong, but it's also like pretty fucking cool that you can make a topical and, you know, grandma's fibromyalgia is, is, <laughs> is right. like helped, you know? Wow. I feel like so much more well-equipped for this conversation now than I was 48 <laughs> minutes ago. Well, I hope it wasn't too uh, tangential and rambling. No, no, this, that, was, that was quite perfect, sir. Yeah. Cannabis is in the title of the episode, so I... Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. Nothing tangential about it. Well, I just mean, you know, like how, like, I don't know, I can, I can definitely ramble. I'm good at that. No. <laughs> well, I think that's going to uh, lead us to our ending, though. Aw. Uh-huh. I'm a little... I'm a little sad this is over. We should do it again, though. We should do it again. I'm down. Yeah. It's Chris, whatever, thank Doug. you for your time. It's <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me, man. I'm, uh, I'm honored to be a part of it. Oh. Well. And this is way more. I mean, this is fucking pro. Yeah. This is pretty serious. You got three microphones. We do. We used to do a podcast with just one microphone in the middle of a table. It sounded like you used to do a podcast with a fucking phone. <laughs> With just a phone recording somewhere in the room, in someone's pocket, maybe. Somewhere in the room. Maybe the next room. <laughs> yeah, things have changed. No, that's Thank not, you so much easy. for your time. Thank you, man. Thank you for uh, having me. Conversations with you are always some of my favorites. Yeah, likewise. So Let's do it we again. shall do this again. Hell yeah. Um, we are totally going to bypass our sponsor drop for this episode. Probably a good call. So we're probably going to find a new sponsor for the next one. Um, so if you're out there and listening... We're yep. looking for a sponsor. Holler you at your boys. Holler at your boys. You got Whatever. any uh, leaving comments, sir? Yeah, support uh, support local business. Support local indie business even better. Yeah. Come to Chugs. One. Come to Ariette. If you haven't done that yet, you, uh, you're you fucking up. That yeah. Bangkwana Chung we just had was outrageous. No, was so deep. Very controversial, that Bangkwana Chung. Tremendo Chung. Yo, your Cuban sandwich sounds even more controversial. I know, I like that. I think we'll leave the, the controversial sandwiches for the next episode, but... Uh, thanks for joining. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Cheers. Damn it.